0: why I'm letting you guys greet each other a little bit longer today. It sort of goes along with the message. Hey, a couple of reminders, announcements, if you will, before we get into the message today. Um, if you'd like to be a part of the worship team here at the Oasis, uh, they're going to be having some auditions this month. Please just email Nicole or talk to Nicole about being a part of the worship team. Also, two weeks from today, Potluck Sunday is back. Uh, The first Sunday of October, October the 5th. Uh, Please uh, mark that. Uh, The church, as always now, provides the main dish, but we just ask that anyone who comes uh, bring a large side dish or dessert for a lot of people to share. So don't forget that will be right after the morning service on Sunday, October the 5th. Foster Group Home, like our homeless ministry, every month has some things that they could really use as far as donations. I'm going to ask you to go out there and talk to those folks about what donations specifically they are looking for, but I did want to bring this to your attention with Foster Group Home Ministry. They wanted me to get out a save-the-date, even though it's a little early. We will be having a painting party for the Foster Group Home and need all the able-bodied adults that we can to help. We need setup, painting, and a cleanup crew please set aside some time on November 15th and 16th to lend a helping hand. Also, if anyone can get contractor discounts on paint, please contact Karen, that's Karen Wickens, and she has her email address there or her phone number, please. More details follow shortly. Thank you. Uh, The Oasis Business Connection is also compiling a revised edition. If you would like to have your business in there, uh, please drop your business card or your information in there as well. Romans chapter 12 this morning is where we're going to be as we travel through the book of Romans. And we're going to be in the first eight verses of Romans 12 today. And this passage is of particular importance to me personally. Um, Some, many of you might know a little bit of my, say, testimony. I believe that God had called me to be a pastor when I was actually 12 years of age. But I did not surrender to that call until my early 20s. It was this passage of Scripture that God specifically used to get me to that place where I would surrender to Him And do what he was asking me to do, do do what he created me to do. Secondly, this passage is to me a great reminder and, and teaches us the importance of our local church. And ever since the Oasis was started, one of the things that I felt God was saying to me, and one of the reasons why I think this church was established was to provide uh, what you don't find out there a lot today, even in local churches, which is the creating of a group of people who truly feel a responsibility towards each other, who truly feel an obligation towards each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, who feel, in a sense, an accountability, if you want to even use that word, towards each other. Because we're living in a day and age, even within Christian culture, where the local church, our involvement in it, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and certainly to go to the level of feeling some kind of responsibility or obligation, you just don't find that out there a lot. Can I just say, too, that's why sometimes, you know, I'll hear folks around the Oasis say, you know, I, I love... Where our church is right now we 're just you know we 're a family and all that and and they almost have this fear of of wanting to even grow physically because they're afraid that you know if we would start to grow we, we would lose some some of what we have in a sense established and what God has created in these first Almost five years that the church has been in existence. But what I want to share with you, if you feel that way, and what I want to share with all of us today, is I don't think that's something we ever have to be afraid of as long as we stick to what the Word of God says the church is to be like. Because no matter how big or how small a church is, that really is not the issue. Because you can have the right kind of church, if you will, from God's perspective that's bigger or smaller. The size really doesn't matter. It's more, what is the pattern of our church? What what example are we following? And I think you see here in Romans chapter 12 the type of church that God is calling us to be. One final thing, and then I'll get into the message finally today. So if God calls us to greater connection with each other, then obviously that means... Our relationships with each other has to be a priority. And yet if we're going to do that over the long haul and sustain these relationships, how do we do that? How how do we maintain our relationships with each other and go through the good and the bad and all of that together? And how do we get through all that? That's going to be the message next week from verses 9 through the rest of chapter 12. And the reason I want to mention that today is I think that next week would be a great opportunity for you to maybe invite somebody to come with you to the Oasis to hear about how to do relationships from a biblical perspective, because I believe that we live in a world today that is groping to try to figure out how to do relationships well, how how to do relationships that will truly last, how to do relationships that are meaningful and purposeful, So we're going to talk all about that next week. But this week, it's the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. And I want to divide these eight verses into these sort of three main points. We're going to talk a little bit about the worship of God and what that really means here. We're going to talk about the will of God. And then we're going to talk about the family of God. And again, the reason why I think it's important that we keep things in context is even for many Christians, they'll read verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 and then they sort of shut it down. And I think we need to keep reading because everything that Paul says to the Roman Christians and says to us in the first two verses of Romans 12 is really in the context of what he's going to share in verses 3 through 8 and really through the rest of the chapter. But let's begin with the worship of God. Notice in verse 1, he says, Therefore, I exhort you, I call upon you, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. The reason I get the worship of God out of that is because that word service literally means an expression of worship. In other words, Paul is saying, You know, when we think about the worship of God, again, beyond singing and praise and maybe other ways that we think of when we think of worshiping God, that really it starts, even that starts with placing myself at God's disposal. That's really what he means by the word present your body. In other words, come before God and say to God, God, as we've even sung about, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about me trying to get you to buy into my will. It's about me placing myself before you, God, at your disposal and saying to you, God, whatever you want, however you want my life to go, whatever direction you want, God, here I am. I present myself to you. Paul says that is the basic expression of worship and that all worship, no matter what we define as worship in our lives, really starts there. And notice the very first word of verse one. It's therefore. And before we even get into verse one, what Paul is saying is and what I'm I'm sharing with you now about the worship of God is based on everything I've said in the first 11 chapters, but especially that last part of chapter 11 that we looked at last week, about the profound love of God for us, that God sticks with us through thick and thin, and He never gets to a point with us, no matter what we have done and how we have failed, where He regrets entering into a relationship with us. He says, I have no regrets because I, as God, knew exactly what I was getting into when I entered into a relationship with you. I knew what it was going to be like before I even entered in. And then, Paul says, this amazing God that loves us with, with such an everlasting, unconditional love also created us for a purpose and And the whole reason he designed us this way, and so Paul ends chapter 11 with this sort of benediction or doxology of praise to God and basically says, you know, what God has revealed blows us away. But we also have to come to a point where we realize that God is so infinite and so above us and beyond us that he is unfathomable and beyond our comprehension to totally grasp him. And yet the things that he has revealed to us that we can understand, that we can grasp, that we can live by, Paul says that should bring us to a point. If we truly know God and who he's revealed himself to be and who he's created me to be and the fact that he did create me and that he saved me and all of this should bring me to an expression of worship where I place myself at his disposal. And Paul uses the word reasonable service, which is interesting. It's the Greek word where we get our English word logical from. It's literally "logistos" in the Greek language. It, it just Paul's saying, look, if you truly understand what the Bible teaches and what I've shared with you up through the first 11 chapters, then really the logical response for any Christian, the only logical thing to do is to place ourselves at God's disposal. And say, God, here I am. Here I am. Whatever you want. And see, that's why that needs to happen... ...before we even talk about the will of God. Because what the Bible teaches and what Paul teaches here is... ...God is not going to take all this time... ...to reveal his will and his purpose and his design for us... ...if he knows in our hearts that we have not come first and placed ourselves at his disposal so that when he does reveal it to us, we'll do it. You see. And at this moment, I want to say this too, because I think this is important. A lot of times when Christians talk about the will of God, we're always talking about it in the context of the things that maybe God hasn't clearly revealed to us that we're wanting to know about. And can I just say this, hopefully, as an encouragement? You and I will learn the will of God for the things that we don't know when we focus on the will of God for what we do know. Does that make sense? Understand where I'm coming from there. In other words, if I want to know, should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person, that person? You know, all the things we talk about as Christians, we talk about the will of God. I want to know the will of God. God, I think, would say to us, are you doing my will for what you already know it is? Because that's where it needs to start with all of us. Do what I've already revealed is my will, and then the stuff that you don't know or that you want to know, that will become clear when you do what you already know you should be doing. And that's why, in a sense, Paul's building this on, first of all, the foundation of coming before God as an expression of my worship to him. That's the foundation. God, here I am. I give myself to you, whatever you want, not whatever I want. Then he goes into verse 2 and says, be not conformed to this world. The word "conform" means literally to, to be sort of sandwiched or, or pressured into another pattern or mold. And so Paul is saying that as Christians, we have to be careful that our lives are not being defined by ourselves or someone else or the popular majority, but that our lives are being defined by God alone. If he created us for certain purposes and and a certain design in mind, then God is saying through Paul, then we have to reject letting others put us into the pattern or design or mold that they want and truly coming before God and saying, God, what is your design for me? Not what I want. What's your design for me? Why did you create me? What's your purpose for my life? But before I even can get there, I've got to stop being squeezed into the mold that other people want me to be. Which is why Paul starts there. And then he says, after we stop being conformed to the world around us and living as they want us to, he says, then it continues by being transformed or changed into God's pattern through the renewing of our mind. And this word renewing is not only something that we as Christians have to do continuously, in other words, there never comes a moment as a Christian in my life where I should stop allowing God to renew my mind. And the word renew here is complete renovation. I mean, don't, don't think of it even as, you know, how like some of the TV shows or whatever on like uh, the home network where they go in and they, they take a room and they renovate just one room and leave the rest of the house the way it is trust me that's not what god wants to do with our mind he wants to come in because our mind has been so affected negatively by the fall and by the influence of this fallen nature that we carry with it that god says this renovation of your way of thinking that's what the mind is has got to be a lifetime process it's got to be continuous and you've got to let me come in and renovate the whole entire way you look at things. And God is saying the reason that again this is in context is if I, as a Christian, have come before God and placed myself at His disposal, then Paul's saying not only am I sense placing my physical body before Him, I'm placing my mind, and I'm saying, okay, God. You start renovating. You start renewing my mind. Help shape the way I think, the way I look at things, my perspective. And Paul is building that on, again, this foundation of placing myself at God's disposal. And Paul goes on to say then, when I allow God to continually renew my mind... And by the way, the best way God can renew our minds is through the Word of God, which is why we obviously center everything we do here at the Oasis. From the littlest child over in Crystal's children's ministry there this morning all the way to the oldest adult, it's all about getting people connected to the Word of God because that's how he renews our mind, our thinking, changes it. The Holy Spirit takes the Word And renovates, if you will, up there, how we look at things. Now, the reason why this is so important is because only as I'm allowing God to renovate and renew my thinking will I come to a place where I will see God's will the way I should see it which is why he connects it in the context with the will of God. He says, the renewing of your mind so that you and I may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. And these are all things that we come to that place. God's already come to that place. These aren't talking about God. These are talking about us and how we look at the will of God. He already knows it's perfect. He already knows it fits us. He already knows it's going to fulfill us because he created us. And he designed us with that specific purpose and design in mind. It's not up to us or for God to somehow figure it out. What God is saying through Paul is, as I allow God to renew and renovate my thinking, I come to a place as a Christian where I begin to see God's will in a whole different light. First of all, I begin to recognize God's will. That's what the words test and approve mean in verse 2. In other words, Paul's saying, the only way as a Christian I can even recognize this is God's will for my life is to be in that process of continually renewing my mind. Or else God's will could come up here and I'll be blind to it. I, I won't see it. I won't seize the opportunities before me because my mind is not continually being renewed. And then he goes on to say, and I certainly won't come to a place where I'll think it's good. You know. And you get this, you you see Christians struggle with this. You know, if I present my body a living sacrifice, God's will for my life, he's going to ask me to do something that just makes me miserable. I mean, that's the way, and can I just say, because I've been there, that is words out of the mouth of a Christian who's not allowing your mind to be renovated and renewed. Because we wouldn't think that way. We wouldn't have that way of thinking if we were allowing God to continually work on our way of thinking and work on our minds. We would actually come to a place where we say, God, your will for me is good and well-pleasing. The word means fitting, appropriate. In other words, you and I begin to realize this fits me like a glove. This is exactly how God made me and and I realize now all the passions and abilities and skills and talents and, and just even again, the way I look at things, and it all, it all fits. And then he says, perfect will of God. And that word perfect means fulfilling or satisfying. In other words, again, what Paul's saying is, if I would allow God to begin to renovate my way of thinking, which really starts with me placing myself at God's disposal... Worship of God, then comes the will of God. I will actually get to a place as a Christian where I will be settled in and sort of sink into his will for my life and realize how wonderful it is and be so glad that I found it. But Paul's saying, that doesn't come about for every Christian for a couple reasons. One, That Christian has never come to a place in their life where they literally placed themselves on the altar of God and said, God, my life isn't about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my desires and where I want my life to go and all that. It's about you and living for your glory and what you want, God. And then when we do that as a Christian, obviously I think then, It's logical, too, that the next thing that we would be willing to do was enter into saying, God, change the way I think. Because I realize that I'm warped a lot of times in how I look at you, how I look at your will for my life, and I truly want to do what you want, God. That's why I placed myself at your disposal, and I'm worshiping you. So out of that, we begin to find the will of God. Now, as we let God change the way we think, one of the first things God is going to work on is how we view ourselves. Think about that. One of the first things God is going to begin to do when we truly allow our minds to be reshaped through his word and by his spirit is how we view ourselves. Which is why then notice what Paul says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. Paul's saying this. When I let God take over my mind and my way of thinking... And even how I look at myself, I will come to a very balanced, moderate view of myself. That's really what he's saying by sober judgment. In other words, avoid the two extremes that many of us sometimes struggle with. No, we're not pond scum. That's not how God would want us to view ourselves. I'm just a worm. I'm I'm pond scum. I'm nothing. No, no. But he also doesn't want me to view myself as the belly button of the universe either. That's what he's saying. And only God, through the shaping of our mind, through us allowing God to renew our mind, can really help us to come to a balanced view that I obviously have great worth and value. God created me. He saved me. But he also doesn't want me to get lifted up in pride and become so full of self that I think the world exists for me. Avoid those two extremes. And then the next thing in this process of renewing my mind, finding the will of God, worshiping God, is realizing, I hear that back there, is realizing that and, and this is so important, I'm going to probably say it several times. No Christian, no Christian can experience or express the will of God apart from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Please hear that today. No Christian, I don't care who they are, can truly ever experience the will of God for their life or express the will of God for their life apart from their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul meant at the end. What verse is it here? I'll find it. Verse 3, where he says, Each of you has been given or distributed by God a measure of faith. In other words, Paul is saying, God made it so. He decreed it to be this way. He predetermined that Christians, in order to achieve God's will for their life and experience it and express it, were going to have to be in connection with other Christians. Because no Christian did he create to sort of be self-contained unit. Where I don't need other Christians and their service and ministry in my life. I can become who God wants me to be on my own. Paul says, no, that is not biblical. Because only each of us have been given a measure of faith. The only way we can experience the fullness of what God has for us is when we're in community with others who have that measure and we come together and begin to see the total picture of god and of christ on our own we will never experience that folks and golly we need to hear that today in the church because there's so many people today who say i can worship god on my own i don't need to be part of a local church I don't need to build relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I am fine on my own. And folks, that is unbiblical. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You and I will never be what God created us to be if we're out there trying to do it on our own. Because we've, each of us, only been given a measure, not the total package. That's why then in the context of this, he says, Just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so too we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members who belong to one another. Wow. Where do I begin? First of all, he compares us to a body and he says, well, worship of God, will of God. Now we're into the family of God. He says, we've got to understand as God reshapes our thinking that we're just one part of a larger body. I'm not the whole body. None of us are the whole body. But when we come together, we begin to form a body. And yes, there is the larger body of Christ. In other words, every Christian in all the world is part of the body of Christ. Yes. But when Paul's talking in books like this about the body of Christ, he's not talking about the Christian who lives in Thailand, even though it's great we're going to see brothers and sisters from Thailand and in heaven one day. And all that. He's talking about our Local church body of believers. When Paul wrote this, he was writing this to a local church, a single local church in Rome. And he's saying, we have to get Christians to understand they belong to each other. That the way God designed his worship and his will and all of this was to be exercised and expressed in a corporate setting. I mean... Folks, please, I hope you don't. I'm not saying you and I can't worship God by ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the will of God for my life is not that I do this Christian life on my own. The only way I will experience the fullness of the will of God for my life and express the will of God for my life is when I am connected with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Going back again. Because God only gave you and me a measure A measure. And so that's why then he goes into talking about the gifts. Now, I want to say this before I get into verses 6, 7, and 8. I'm not going to take the time today to define all these gifts, you know, what they are. I figure you you guys can do that on your own. But I do want to say this. Know this list of Paul in Romans 12 is not an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. But what it is in its context is this. It is, I think, all the gifts that are really connected with the worship and will of God as far as my brothers and sisters go. And I say that for this reason. Although there's only seven gifts listed here, I believe that every Christian, true Christian, in every local church has at least one of these spiritual gifts. And that you'll notice here that these gifts are given to us by God, and they are given to us not to serve ourselves, but to serve and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. The way you and I experience and express the will of God is when we are living in a church family and using the gifts and abilities that God has given us to strengthen and to serve one another. In fact, notice here, God doesn't say this is optional. Notice what he says beginning in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If you have the gift of prophecy out there at the Oasis, then notice he says you must use it in proportion to your faith. If you have the gift of service, he must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing, he must do it with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing mercy, he must do it with cheerfulness. Must, must, must. In other words, what Paul is saying is, God is going to hold every Christian responsible for this one day we're going to be held accountable before God did we serve and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ did we use the gifts that God gave us to serve and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ this is the will of God And I go back to what Paul said, we belong to each other. Whether this is popular or not today, here's the truth of God's word. You and I, who've now entered into this local church together as a church family, whether we like it or not, before God, we are responsible and obligated to one another. That's the way God sees the church. You want to know what God's will is? That's God's will. We belong to each other, and we have an obligation and a responsibility to one another. To be who God created us to be and called us to be so that we can serve and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you some practical examples, and I apologize for using myself, because I I, I don't mean it to be about, but I'd rather use myself, I guess, than... Because I, I, I'm not sure that maybe you'd be comfortable if I used you. I'll say it that way. Let me start with this. How would you feel if, you, if one of the reasons you come to the Oasis is because you feel spiritually that somehow you benefit from the gift that God has given me to teach his word? Okay, that's one of the reasons you come to the oasis. Is you come here because you feel, in some way, you are spiritually benefited by the gift that God has given to me? Then how would you feel if you came Sunday after Sunday and looked up here and where's Jeff? Oh, he's around using his gift somewhere else. I mean, w- would you feel a little deprived or cheated because it's like you're coming? To receive the benefit from my gift and I'm never here? I'm called to minister to the whole body. So I'll show up at the Oasis maybe once every three or four months, but I'm out there at these other churches in the Southeast Valley and I'm, I'm doing my thing, plying my gift out there. I mean, if I was in your shoes, I'd feel like, wait a minute. I came here to this body because I wanted to benefit from his gift. And he's never around. Can I tell you something? Some of you might not believe this, but it's true before God. I feel cheated. I feel deprived. Whenever you're not around. And you're not using your gift to help me out. That's the way God wants us to look at each other. We have a responsibility. Or how about through my church life, because I've grown up in church. It's why churches stop. and, And can I just say this too? Not that we don't have great men in this church to fill in for me, like Pastor Chad and Brian and others who spoke. I get that. That's not what I'm saying. But to go on to that... Here's one of the reasons why we know the church really isn't letting God change their way of thinking of how they look at their brothers and sisters in Christ and look at their church. A lot of churches nowadays, and it's been this way for years, ever since I knew it when I, 53 years ago now, grew up in church, most churches would never announce to the people if the pastor, the main pastor, wasn't going to be there that particular Sunday. You know why? Because a lot of people thought, oh, if the pastor's not going to be there, then I'm, I'm just blowing off that Sunday. You know what I'm talking about. Now, think about that, though. What's that say, first of all, to whoever else is speaking? Well, God, you can use that person in my life to benefit me, but you can't use anybody else. And what's that say to every other brother and sister in Christ in that church? I only come to church to be benefited from his gift, but I don't come to give you, my brothers and sisters, anything. And I certainly don't come to be fed or strengthened or served by anybody else in the church. So if the pastor's not here, I don't come. And what Paul is trying to combat in this passage is that very mindset. That is a total wrong way of looking at the obligation and responsibility we each have towards each other. We all can benefit spiritually from each other if we would all be willing to take on that sense of responsibility and obligation and begin to use the gifts that God has given us and take our local church seriously. Can I say one more thing too? We live in an age today, too, where many Christians try to become part of multiple bodies. I go to this church. Then I go to this church. And I also attend over here. This And they never really are part of a body, one body. They become this weird sort of multiple member body thing. Excuse my illustration. It's the best I could come up with. It's like they become this Christian Frankenstein. I got, a, I got a part from over here, and I got a part from over here, and I'm walking around with parts from all over. Can I say to you, just like the monster, total instability. I Mark it down. There is no Christian who is a part of multiple bodies that is a stable Christian. Why can I say that with such confidence? Because they're going against the will of God. The will of God calls us to be part of one body and to use our gifts to strengthen and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ here, And just like the principle of you and I cannot serve two masters, there is no way then any Christian can effectively be fully part of two separate bodies. It doesn't work that way, and God never designed it that way. God said, you find the body that I've called you to, and you sink into that body, and you begin to use your gifts to strengthen and serve your brothers and sisters, and you begin to allow your brothers and sisters to begin to strengthen and serve you. And when you and I work that way and that kind of synergy, we begin to discover what the will of God is, and we begin to worship God on a whole other level than what we ever could sitting out there on the fringe. Either trying to do it through multiple bodies, or coming to a church, but never really sensing the responsibility and obligation we have towards each other. That's why, like, when, when some of you, you know, you've missed or whatever, I just tell you I missed you. And I used to think, I don't want people to think, like, as a pastor, I'm putting them on a guilt trip. Like, oh, I noticed you weren't around for a Sunday or two. But I would rather err on the side that I want you to know you were missed. Somebody does know when you're not here. And part of the reason is because I want you to understand, as I said earlier, that in your mind you may think one of the reasons I come here is because I benefit from the gifts that God has given to Jeff. But I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, as truthfully as I can be, I would not be spiritually, and I've got a long way to go, but I would not be in the place I am if it would not be for me opening myself up and allowing God to use you in my life. Because that's the way God designed it. That's why God says, we've got to get to a place, as we allow God to change the way we think, that we get to a place where we realize we belong to each other. It's not about being legalistic. People Christians always use that whenever it's like, you know, they don't like that responsibility or that accountability. So, well, you're you're just being legalistic. No, we're not. We're being biblical. <laughs> we're being biblical here. God wants us at times to live with that sense of responsibility and obligation. That's a good thing. That's actually a a great thing. And God wants us to begin to do that with each other. Because as a Christian, I can say all day long, God, I worship you. I can say all day long to myself or to somebody else, I'm really interested in your will for my life, God. But until we go down the road that Paul has given us today, the road that starts with placing my life at God's disposal, and then letting God begin to renovate my way of thinking, which then begins to show me what his will is for my life, and not only do I begin to recognize his will, His will actually becomes this really cool thing that I would never want to live outside of. And then I realize that that will then has to be expressed and experienced within my family of fellow believers. Because part of God's will for my life and your life is to realize we belong to each other. And that the whole reason why God gave you the gifts and abilities that he gave you was because he wanted you to be part of this church or some local body where other Christians could benefit, be strengthened, profit from what you bring to the table. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. I really don't want this to be an invitation today like last week where, in a sense, I was saying, hey, I want you to just respond right away. But as we sing this song to close our service, here is what I'd like you to consider today. And I think it's important that at times we don't make some snap, quick decision but that we really go home and, again, let God begin to renovate our minds and pray over it and whatever. But I want to leave you with this thought. If I'm open as a Christian, that God's will for my life involves me, feeling a sense of responsibility and obligation towards my brothers and sisters in Christ, then how does that personally translate for me? What does that mean for me? What do maybe I need to change? What does God want me to even consider changing to be more in line with his will? To not only begin to look at him differently. But to begin to look at my brothers and sisters in Christ. Differently as well. One of the things we're going to see next week. In the passage that begins in verse 9. Is how we should look at each other and cherish each other and value each other. And I think that that can only come whenever we have said, God, take care of this thinking. Because there's some people that are part of my church family that I dearly love and and if, I had to choose to spend time with somebody. I'd choose them, but there's other people in this church family. Oh my God. I just don't know. They're just not, they're just not my kind of people. Why did you place me, God, in this church family with them? And you know, one of the things that God is teaching me and what I've realized in my. Life is that sometimes the very people that I maybe personally struggle with the most are the very people that God wants to use in my life to make me more like Jesus. And you know why I can give you a biblical example of that? Go no further than thinking of David and Saul. Saul threw spears at David to make David the kind of person that would never throw spears at anyone else. What does it mean for me to allow God to lay upon me that sense of responsibility and obligation I have to my brothers and sisters in Christ? If you don't remember anything else Remember that phrase, we belong to one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you so much, God, for all that you do, for your grace, for your patience, for your mercy. And I thank you, God, when you speak truth and things into our life that we need to hear. And sometimes, Lord, that comes through our brothers and sisters in Christ who love us enough to tell us the things that we need to hear. Just as Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. God, I pray today, more than anything else, that each one of us would take into account seriously with you what does it mean for me God to feel that sense of responsibility towards my brothers and sisters in Christ how's that flesh out my worship of you and your will for my life God use this day significantly in our lives we pray in Jesus name Amen. Would you please stand and let's sing this hymn of response to God this morning.